0: This is Pain Matters, the podcast with Laura Mamosley. Welcome back again and we're excited to have you and we're going to talk about central sensitization in this episode. Um, myself included, I'm quite excited about this as it has had a, it have had a massive impact on my on, on, on my work, I think, and my education because it happened at the time Uh, as I was um, on the uni so um, and we decided to spend a whole episode on central sensitization as it is such an immense uh, an immense a huge topic Uh, but there's some history to understand and I think it's very very important to know that history just for the sake of getting lost in translation as well because there is a there has been shown a big risk of we are losing. We're, we're getting lost in translation because of the terminology research and clinical experiences and patients' experience. Terminology has gone wild. <laughs> but let's start with the beginning, Loz. Yeah,
1: I certainly wasn't. I, I was around, but I was thirteen actually when the um, when the original paper was was published. That's... Uh, But there was a really important, and so I guess for a little bit of historical context, from that moment, um, the discovery uh, that something changed between the incoming neuron from the body and the neuron that went up to the brain, something changed in their insensitivity. So it seemed to Clifford uh, that, that sensitivity was affecting the neuron that runs from the spinal cord up to the brain, sending a danger message, if you like. So because it was in the central nervous system um, and it was a change in sensitivity, it was called central sensitization. And uh, Clifford and many other people uh, who either were under his his sort of mentorship uh, or went on to develop their own programs of research did a whole bunch of research to understand what's going on there. and they were able to uncover mechanisms at a synaptic level, uh, mechanisms with certain pumps of molecules and uh, the the, the change in membrane properties and all sorts of amazing stuff within the spinal cord, Um, different genetic coding, the interaction between immune and neural neurotransmitters, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then they started to progress away from the dorsal horn up further into the bottom of the brain and then throughout the brain, looking for similar mechanisms that might be happening. And when they did that, they started to discover these changes in sensitivity all over the place. Uh, And those, all of that is a big body of research. Uh, and in, in 19, sorry, in 2000, I think in 2014, uh, Clifford Wolfe wrote a really important review of central sensitization, um, really calling to the field to say uh, enough um, of thinking central sensitization is a spinal cord thing. Because of the reasons I've said it, it occurs everywhere. Uh, and really, we are only able now to say that this is a sensitization of, how, I mean, I would describe it now as a sensitization of the pain system. Um, and uh, Tori Madden, who was in our research group at the time, did a, did a beautiful review of um, a summary from Clifford Wolfe and a summary from Pear Hansen. And Pear's perspective was, it's got out of control, <laughs> the use of central sensitization as a, as a label. People were saying, this person's got central sensitization pain. So, that, so it became a clinical label, and it was only ever meant to be a physiological event or a physiological shift. Uh, and that's, that's a really challenging conflation between mechanism and manifestation. Uh, because many mechanisms con- can contribute to the same manifestation, and uh, many manifestations can involve similar mechanisms. So we have to be careful with that. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think it was timely that 2014 paper, and I was certainly around for that.
0: Join us in York, United Kingdom, on the 14th and the 15th of June, 2024, for two enlightening days of learning. Meet the renowned Professor lorimer Mosley. Discover how understanding pain shapes your practice and empowers you to treat pain effectively. This course will give you the confidence and competence you need. Master sessions live with Professor Lorimer-Moseley in York, United Kingdom. Don't miss this opportunity. Register now on mastersessions.academy. Your journey to effective pain treatment starts here. How did that impact your work? So would you say how that has impact research pain research in general, you reckon is that I think it's been a quite a big shift. It's still around. It's still been mm-hmm lots of going on around central sensitization and what do we mean about it today? What's the definition? I think that's very important because I'm still a bit confused myself as well.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, well, the, I guess the halfway house was to say as Per Hansen said in his important review in 2014, he said, well, let's preserve central sensitization as the, shift in response profile of the neurons in the spinal cord and Clifford Wolf's counter argument to that was how how can we do that because we have it, in humans we have no way of assessing that we actually do not have a method of assessing the sensitivity of the the ascending neuron there are people in the in the brain imaging world who have been trying it for at least twenty years to image the spinal cord, and the spinal cord is very challenging to image because it's very hard to stop it moving. Now you can you can stop the head moving pretty well, but if you think these neurons are tiny weeny things, a small movement of let's say a millimeter is the same as that moving you know, thousands of times of its as its width, if you like. So. Um, being stationary during spinal imaging is really important and the the mathematicians involved will actually try and work out, well, how much is everything moving and presume the spinal cord is moving the exact same amount. Uh, but some people can, they, they do get images of activity in the spinal cord, but it's really difficult, really difficult. So Clifford Wolfe's perspective was keeping central sensitization just for what's happening at the that one neuron, is not a practical position to take in the live organism, particularly the live human. Uh, so what does it mean now? I don't know what the official definition is. I'm going to look it up, but the IASP tells us that the official definition now of central sensitization is, and I'm going to read it out but so I get it exactly right, increased responsiveness of nociceptive neurons in the central nervous system to their normal or sub-threshold afferent input. The next question that the astute critique, the critical observer will ask is, so which ones are nociceptive neurons? Uh, and I, I think that Clifford Wolfe would argue they are all the neurons that are normally activated when we stimulate nociceptors but this is, this is such a i mean that's problematic in itself right so what does it mean to be normally stimulated uh, and what happens with sub i mean do these these second order neurons not activate outside of that or do they activate more i mean it's very it's it's very challenging in a, in such a complex such a complex system um but I th- I think that Clifford Wolf would say, okay, we can be talking about any neurons within the central nervous system that are reasonably uh, expected to be involved uh, when someone is given a noxious stimulus and experiences pain. So anywhere in that hierarchy, um, we could say they're nociceptive neurons. But somewhere in that hierarchy, we probably have to suggest that Neurons are pain-related neurons. And this really sparked uh, the interest in neural networks and neuroimmune networks and a whole different way of thinking about how the brain does stuff. Uh, That old idea of central sensitization really does imply that there is a, a, a pretty linear neural cascade going from activation of nociceptors to pain, uh, and somewhere in there, the neurons can be called nociceptive neurons, and then at one stage they turn over to be non-nociceptive neurons. But in rea- in reality, we are so fearfully and wonderfully complex that the pattern of neural activity for the same individual. So you know, but if you came in to do an experiment with a we're doing brain imaging study or something, and we gave you a laser stimulus. On the back of your hand, uh, and we repeated that fifty times over the next hour. Then every single trial would involve a unique pattern of brain activity in you. So that means that there are not—it's not always exactly the same neurons involved, uh, and therefore, you know, we—we, we, I think, we have to start conceding that. This idea of of labelled neurons that just do certain things is unlikely to be true when you think, thought when you're thinking about the grey matter in your spinal cord and your brain, um, and that that really did give give rise to renewed interest in the idea of neuroimmune networks, uh, a neural network theory, um, because it offered a a better explanation, but it doesn't really it doesn't really help what we what we define central sensitization as now, which which I think is why the ISP has moved towards other terms actually for clinical findings,
0: which you refer to nociplastic pain.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that whole task force was motivated by in part by these these challenges that the more we understood the system the less clear we were on what central sensitization is. I mean, comparatively, peripheral sensitization, the process by which peripheral neurons become more sensitive to input, easy-peasy simple compared to changes in the central nervous system.
0: We seem to be able to differentiate to some degree. Maybe we can touch on that very briefly. But what's the likelihood of the process of central sensitization in a non-healthy way, if you like, is happening in a person with um, experiencing uh, ongoing pain state?
1: Yeah, I love that question because uh, central sensitization in its original um, form, if you like, happens almost immediately in the presence of injury or significant inflammation. Um, so those neurons inside the spinal cord change their properties very quickly. And when we say you know, peripheral sensitization is easy peasy, it is extraordinarily complex. Um, but the, the the effect is confined to a smaller number of neurons, and they're they're much easier to investigate because they're in the tissues of the body. Um, so and you know the effect of peripheral sensitization is. Allodynia, which is things that don't normally hurt, now hurt. And hyperalgesia, which means things that normally hurt, now hurt more. At the area of insult or inflammation. So that's peripheral sensitization. Central sensitization in all its forms, and in what we are now, probably now conceptualize it as, will result in... Uh, allodynia things that didn't hurt now hurt across a larger area of the body possibly at a mirror site uh, spreading in a non-anatomical fashion these sorts of things Uh, and in in response to a wider array of stimulus uh, types if you like Um, and the same with Hyperalgesia, so things that were painful are now more painful. But those those things might spread beyond mechanical loading of the tissue. Uh, and those two clinical manifestations have been described as primary hyperalgesia and primary allodynia. So that's attributed to peripheral sensitization. And this sort of conversation is helpful because it reminds us that allodynia, hyperalgesia, these are clinical. Uh, observations, Um, central sensitization and peripheral sensitization are mechanistic descriptors of how we think those other clinical things might be mediated. So you could say that secondary hyperalgesia, secondary allodynia uh, is mediated by central sensitization as long as we consider central sensitization involves upregulation across the central neuroimmune systems gets a bit tricky
0: it's getting tricky there for sure and from a mechanistic approach good so even if it's the central sensitization is a part of at least in part activity and processing in the spinal cord but is it solely central sensitization in the broader sense as it's been described by the ISP right now is that what we think is causing an ongoing pain state
1: i I think (laughs) i i think we always say it's only part of the story because every time we've said it's the whole story some discovery proves it's only part of the story and i think that's fair enough now um and i wonder if if our next conversation should focus in on this idea of nociplastic pain because i think that's the the next sensible step in the in the historical development of understanding pain and how how persisting pain works but someone with a persistent pain state i think it's it's very likely that they will have changes within their central nervous and immune systems that make it more uh more sensitive to input whatever that input happens to be. And it might be quite individually specific, uh, although they'd probably be consistent things across individuals. Uh, It's quite possible that people with persistent pain also have peripheral sensitization, and they will have that if there is ongoing nociceptor activation, because nociceptors can cause peripheral sensitization. That's peptidergic inflammation. And they might have that because of an ongoing inflammation of the tissues. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't think there'd be any chronic pain states. I don't know how you would have a persistent pain state without a change in the response profile of neural networks inside your grey matter. So I'm I'm sort of dodging the use of central sensitization as a term because as we define it in the IASP, it's limiting. It's very limiting and and it depends on what our understanding of nociceptive neurons means. So, I mean, I don't use the term central sensitization for that reason because I don't find it very clinically helpful and I don't find it very compelling Uh, to try and sell the message um, of complexity uh, by confining it to this idea of central sensitization because the next question is, so what does that mean, central? And then you're stuck. You either have to go off script and say, well, anywhere in your central nervous system and immune system uh, and endocrine and sympathetic and (laughs) all that, Um, you either have to go off script or say, well, it's increased response profile in nociceptive neurons. Then the next question is, what are they? And then you get stuck again. So, you know, I avoid it. I'd much rather talk about pain system hypersensitivity.
0: I'm intrigued by these new findings. So if there's one or two findings, recent findings that that have, let's say, in the era after the central sensitization and the broad understanding that we have today so what is the what rocks us, what rocks the researchers world today um in 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 the neurophysiology of this thing we call pain
1: well um i don't know if this necessarily rocks my world but um some of the I know this does rock my world and it's in the neurophysiology space, but it's, it's the things that rock my world probably point to the complexity of the system and the challenge that we will always face trying to find the molecule or the technique or the stimulation paradigm. Uh, Because the more we learn about the human, the more we realize, wow, it's, it's very, there's a lot of redundancy in the system and, Uh, it's almost impossible to imagine one molecule is going to fix them all or one one stimulation device or one exercise or one manoeuvre from your physio or your chiro or something like that. Um, But an example of that would be work that Ted Price published um, a a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now, uh, looking at the dorsal root ganglion. And Ted gave a review of the the array of neurotransmitters and immune transmitters and receptor sites that had been discovered in the dorsal root ganglion, in primarily in animals. I think there's some human work in there, and the 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 number of potential connections just in the dorsal root ganglion. So we haven't even got into the spinal cord yet. And it, it's in the millions, well into the millions of potential connections. So that tells me, uh, again, how extraordinarily complex we are. And and the therefore, the capacity of the human to protect itself is really well built in across all our systems. There's also some really interesting work um, demonstrating changes in uh, the, the the resting behaviour of neural networks in the brain. And uh, looking at, uh, there's this thing called thalamocortical rhythm. Uh, Sylvia Gustin does a bit of this work. Luke Henderson does a bit of this work. There are people trying to map the human brainome Uh, to look at exactly where all the neurons go. Um, And there was just to, I guess, just to finish off, one of the things that rocked my world from, wow, could that possibly be true kind of perspective, was a a comparative meta-analysis. So these people modelled a whole lot of brain imaging findings according to the idea of neural connections, neural connectivity. And then they modelled it according to the shape of the brain, the physical shape of the brain. And their report was that modelling outputs according to the shape of the brain gives you more accurate responses than modelling them according to connections within the brain, from brain area to brain area. Now, if that's true, that will mean we have to rethink entirely how the brain works. Uh, And there's something about that that I find very attractive. Starting again, um, so there's some of the things that rocks this neuroscientist world.
0: Yeah, probably there probably are a few more. We may touch on those um, if, if if we feel like they're relevant, and um, or if you have questions uh, as a listener, so please um, please contact us. Um, our email address, mail at master sessions dot academy, is on the bottom of the the notes so we'll be happy we'll be really happy to take your questions um as we're starting this uh, podcast getting more into a direction of neuroscience as you felt and experienced so far I enjoyed this Loz um me too yeah it's (laughs) good Uh, hopefully everyone feels the same about this because it's sort of this little 20 minutes of information sort of I got some Work to think, and and I think it's your term, mind wandering, uh, with a notion of historic perspective. I think many things make sense, and we will go. We do a little dive in nociplastic pain, and um, how we go about that, um, because it, I think it's super relevant, especially for the lived experience, and uh, from clinical presentations. In in particular, it's, it's a very interesting. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Right, this was very thanks exciting.
1: Bart. That was fun. Um,
0: I'm looking forward to no suplastic pain um in a couple weeks' time.
1: Cool. Chat then.
0: Ciao. Bye-bye.
1: Ciao.